but as people who desire more than anything, God, to honor and please you. We ask that you would transform our hearts. But God, it really starts in our minds, as Romans 12, 2 says, that we need to be transformed, not and conformed to the image of the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. It starts with what we think. So God, change the way we think so that we will change the way we feel and the way we act. Help us, God, to honor you with everything. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Transformed. That's our first week in the series. And as we look at the series, um, the key verse is Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2 is a, a verse that many people know, but it's, it's, it's going to be a key every week in the series as we talk about how God transforms, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. The way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you act. And if you want to change something in your life, then you don't start with your actions. You don't even start with your feelings. You start with your thoughts. And if you're acting, for instance, if you're acting depressed, it's because you feel depressed. And if you're feeling depressed, it's because you're thinking depressed thoughts. The key to transformation starts not in your actions, not in your behavior. It doesn't start with your will. It starts with your thoughts. And if you change the way you think, then you'll change the way that you feel. And if you change the way you feel, then you'll change the way you act. So that's, that's the thing. That's what we're going to be called the Romans 12-2 principle. That's the overarching thing that we'll be talking about in this whole series. And what we're going to do is we're going to apply this principle to seven key areas of our life seven large areas of our life where God wants to transform us. Because I shared with you a couple of weeks ago in the intro to this series that God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there because he has more and more and more for our lives. And sometimes we don't even realize what it is. We'll be talking about that. Now the seven key areas, let me put them up on the screen. It's up there. Uh, Seven key areas of life we want to talk about are spiritual health, Physical health, emotional health, mental health, relational health, financial health, and vocational health. We'll be talking about every one of those series, and today we want to talk about this whole area of of, uh, spiritual health. And the the key to spiritual health in our lives, the key to God transforming us in, in, in that area, to being spiritually stronger, the key is to get closer to God. It's simply as important as that. It's as simple as that. The further away you get from God the more your life is troubled. And the closer you get to God, the more your life is transformed. Now this morning what we want to do is we want to look at God's Word, and we're going to look at a passage that's very famous in Scripture, but it has probably the best way of teaching us about this whole deal of what transformation looks like in the area of spiritual life and how do we get close to God. So if you have your Bibles in whatever format you have them in, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, And Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, has this really important lesson, and uh, and it's known in various ways. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. Some people call it the parable of the story of the the loving father, which I probably think is a better description of it, talking about who God is. And so it really teaches us, I don't want to talk today, four things, four steps that must happen in our life if you want to get closer to God, and it can happen in all of our lives. So let me read that to start off this morning. Then I want to talk about it for a little while, uh, the four things that we can learn from this. It says this, and this is the New International Version I'm reading from. It says, Jesus continued, there was a, a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a famine, a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country and sent, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, for, for a Jewish young man, this was about as bad as it gets because, number one, pigs are not kosher, and you're not even supposed to eat pigs, but you're not even supposed to touch them, so that was kind of a deal for him. So about as bad a job as you can get. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, key verse. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, four things that this story tells us about what it means to get close to God. The picture here in the story, and, and, and many commentators have said, basically, the father represents God, and the son represents, this younger son represents us, all of us on our journey towards God. And so a parable is always a story that has a deeper meaning, and that's what the story is all about. The first thing is we see in life, the first step, that if we're going to get closer to God, no matter where we are in life, is you have to get fed up with your life where it is. You need to get fed up with, you have to get fed up with my life. Nothing is going to happen in your life during the next seven weeks of Transformed if you are simply are satisfied with the way you are. You might as well not even show up. Because if you're not, if you're not dissatisfied, if you, if you have this satisfaction, everything's fine, you know, I don't need anything, it's just fine, I don't, I don't need anything because my life is perfect, then you can sit out the next seven weeks because nothing's probably going to happen. But... If you, you're, you're, you're thinking, well, I'm tired of being stressed all the time. I'm tired of being frustrated all the time. I'm tired of being overworked all the time. I'm tired of feeling distant from God. Then this, this series is for you. And God's word is for you. Because the first step for this young man to get to the place where God began to work in his life was he had to get fed up with his life. And it says that in Luke chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. And I pulled out some pieces of that. It says this, he wasted it all. He wasted all the stuff that, that he had. Secondly, he had nothing left. Thirdly, he got desperate and hungry. And then it says, then finally, he came to his senses. The first step in transformation in our spiritual life for us to get closer to God is you have to get discontent, disgusted, and be fed up with the way you're living. I'll tell you this, that anytime I've shared, people come to me and say, Pastor, or I've ta- I know anybody that talks uh, talk to somebody about coming to Christ, One of the things we talk about is this. Where are you in your walk? Why did you come to God? Why do you want to have God in your life? And they'll always say, well, I'm dissatisfied in this area. Something needs to be better. I don't know what it is. And sometimes they can't even put their finger on it. 
But we have to get to that point in life if God is going to begin to work in our lives. So look what it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. You'll find me when you get serious about it. See, God is not going to reveal himself if you just kind of want to do it on the casual, like uh, part-time, uh, kind of a part-time hobby. you got to get fed up with the way you're living. There's got to be a place. you got to say there's more to life than this. There's got to be a better way to live than this. You've, there's got to be a saner way to live than this. you got to get fed up with where you are in some area of your life. And I have a feeling that no matter where you are in your walk with God, you could be closer to him. And all of us are some areas of life, some, some area where we're just working on it. Maybe during a series, we're going to come across that area. Uh, and, and in doing that, uh, the first thing you have to do is be dissatisfied with where you are. Be fed up with that. Number two, if you're going to let God work in your life and transform you and, and you'll get closer to God, you have to own up to your sin. You have to own up to your sin. Um, it says in Luke 15, 17 through 18, it says, When the young man came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and against you, talking about his father. It says when he came to his senses, that is when he woke up. To live without God, I don't know about you, but it it doesn't make any sense to live without God. Uh, To live without God does not make sense. To live without God is not rational. To live without the creator who made you is not logical. It doesn't make any sense. And so we have to come to a point of not only being fed up with where we are, we have to also acknowledge our part in the deal. Why are we fed up with where we are? And why do we... You know, why are we dissatisfied? Well, we need to face up to the fact we've not been living God's way. We've been living our way. I've been doing it my way. I've been doing it the way I think is best. I've been doing it in a way that protects all my fears. I've been doing it in a way that, control, that I tries to control everything around me. And even though I try to control everything around me, I can't control everything around me because it doesn't work. I'm still trying to control it all. I'm getting tired of holding all the controls. And, you know, and so often sometimes we come to the place and we say, you know, we never say this, but we think this, you know, we just kind of resign as general manager of the universe when we try to do it ourselves. Isaiah 9, uh, 59, 2 says this, and I love what it says. It says this, your sins, which is what? Sin is anything that separates you from God. Sin is any time that you're doing it your way and it's not God's way. It's not always just bad stuff. It can be, it can be things that just aren't God's way. Your sins have separated you from your God and have, and have hidden his face from you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed and you just kind of felt like you needed to pray, but you, you prayed and you felt like God was a million miles away? You ever prayed that way? You just gone through the processes? Have you ever prayed and felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling? Have you ever prayed and felt like, it's, like there was this veil between you and God? That you couldn't see God and, and, and you couldn't hear God and you couldn't feel God and you feel like you're just talking to yourself and you ask the question, where is God? Now, where does that come from when you feel like that? The Bible says it's your sins that have separated you from God. See, we can pray and go through the rote motions and it's be habitual, but unless we have the relationship with God, we're close to God, the problem is, is that our prayers don't even go anywhere. I've heard one person say it this way, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? Not God. He's still there. The truth is this. The truth is this. You are as close 
to God as you choose to be. You're as close to God as you choose to be. When I, say, when I come and say, God, you know what I've done? I'm really sorry. You know, that's the point. This is what the point here is. When we come to God and say we're sorry, what does he do? And we really mean it, we're sorry. What does he do? Well, let me tell you. Here's what you do. Here's a prayer that you might want to pray. In Psalm 51, it's a great prayer. In Psalm 51, it's a prayer that was, you need to know the context of, that, of, the, of, this, of this prayer. David, who God, who God in Scripture calls a man after his own heart, David had, had fallen off the map. David, this guy who was such a great guy of God, had, had be, allowed lust to come into his life, and he'd had an affair with a lady named Bathsheba, and then because he wanted to have Bathsheba, the only way he could have her full time was that he, could, he had to have the, his, her husband killed, and so with this whole process, we read scripture about it, yeah, it's true, and he had, uh, David had, had uh, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. So uh, would you say this is a pretty serious sin? Affair, murder, okay? Yeah, pretty serious so this is the context of, of Psalm 51, 1 through 4, where David, after this fact, comes to this place, he realizes what he's done, and he owns up to it. He says, be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love, because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins, wash away all my evil and make me clean. And then he says this, I recognize my faults, my sins, and I am conscious that I've sinned against you. So he prays that prayer. And the question is, when we pray that kind of prayer, and we mean it because we continue to read David, David changed after this. God began to transform him again. How does God respond when we say, I own up to what I am and what I've done? What is, how does God respond to that? Well, Scripture tells us. Isaiah 118 says this. The Lord says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow no matter what you've done David had murdered he'd had an affair he'd done all these things and he came back to God you know, some, so often people say well I can't possibly God, I, can't, I don't feel close to God because of stuff in my past God can wipe it clean can wipe the slate clean that's what he says but you have to own up to it what you've done now let me, let me talk about what's going to happen this week in small groups this week in your small group, the thing, the context of your small group, uh, as you go through, the, if you're doing the transform groups, is that you're going to do something where you're going to look at seven habits for spiritual health. But also one of the things that we need to do as well is we need to do something that's very helpful. And one of the things I want you to do every week in this series as part of a small group experience, as part of your own devotional time, is I want you to set a goal in all, all seven of these areas, a goal. I'm going to give you the first one, okay? Give you a Prompt, prompt you with the first one. It doesn't have to be as, as, as specific as this, but it needs to be something specific. It has to be measurable. It has to be something you, can, you know you've done something with. So what I want you to do this week as, as, as the goal is I want you to do something called a, a spiritual checkup. A spiritual checkup. And on page 220 of this book, uh, there's, there's a whole thing, 220 through 223, there's some information there about how to do a spiritual checkup. It's a little thing you do. Now, you say, I don't have a book. Uh, you sold out, whatever. Well, guess what? We make copies of the spiritual checkup legally, and we put them back uh, on, the, on the counter back here. So there's, there's copies. If we run out of those, we can send you copies. Small group leaders, I'm going to send you the whole spiritual, spiritual checkup uh, guide in, uh, as a PDF tomorrow. 
Okay, so all small group leaders will have it. You can make copies of it, whatever you want to do. But the thing is, I want you this week to do that because, because we, I want to encourage you to set a goal. And what I want you to do is do a checkup. Now, let me ask you, if you have, how many of you have at least somewhat of a regular checkup with a doctor? You got to check, you know, most, you know, like me, I went to the dentist last week and, you know, the dentist looked at my chart and said, you know, I hadn't been here in about a year. And I said, well, that was pretty good for me. Because I'm not real crazy about dentists for some strange reason, you know. But, uh, you know, most of us do have regular checkups in some kind of way. Well, spiritually, we need to have a check. And what is the reason you have a checkup with a doctor? Because you want to know, you want to get a, get a feeling about where you are health-wise. Spiritually, we don't often do that. We just kind of float through life spiritually. This will give you at least some kind of a, 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 a line to, to ask, where am I right now? And then what I want you to do is six months from now, do this again. Do the spiritual checkup six months from now. And then six months after that. And what I want you to do is not only do the checkup for yourself, you can look at it, but share it with one other person. And then six months from now, when you do it, you know, do the spiritual checkup again, you compare what you did before. You don't look at the one you did before to see where you were. You just do it again, and then you compare, and it gives you an, a, kind, of a, kind of an EKG about where you're going. It gives you a graph of where you're going in life in these different areas. And there's, and there's five different areas that we'll talk about, and they're very practical things that you can do that you can measure in regard to that. So that's one of the things we can do. It's a good spiritual habit that you need to do if you want to get, stay close to God and get close to God. It's talking about developing spiritual habits that will help us to do that. Matter of fact, it tells us the scripture to do that. You know that? It tells us to do checkups. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Test yourself to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. If you fail the test, ignore it. No, it says do something about it. If you fail the test, do so. it's, it's not to make you feel bad. It's to give you a baseline so you can do something about the things in life you need to do. If the doctor told you you have this going on, I mean, the least you can do, and probably the first thing you need to do is change, if you've got stuff going on, change your diet. And we're going to talk about this in one of the weeks on health. Uh, change your diet and change your exercise. Maybe that's the first thing you need to do if you had a health issue. You just wouldn't keep doing the same things. You know, keep doing the same things over and over and get, expect different results. It's called what? Insanity. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way in a spiritual life. If you want to go grow closer to God, you have to do the things that will help you stay connected and close to God. And this will help you to do that. So, okay, so the second thing to do in, in, in regard to this is own up to our sin. Own up to our sin. Number three. If we're going to grow in our relationship with God, number th- the third thing we have to do, and the third thing this young man did, is we have to offer up ourselves to God. This is the third thing that we find this young man doing. He got fed up with where he was. He came to his senses. He owned up that he said, I've sinned against God. And then he offered himself up. Notice the change in attitude between verse 11 in chapter 15 of Luke and verse 19. It says, in verse 11, it says, The sun drifted away saying, Give me my shower. Give me, give me, give me. It's all about me. That's a sure sign you have a spiritual problem when it's all about you. But then in verse 19, what does it say? He returned to the Father saying, make me, totally different attitude, make me a servant. That's at the heart of real transformation. This, the greatest transformation that can happen in our lives is this transformation from being self-centered to God-centered. 
The question is, are we letting God do that? Now, some of us wish that we could take a pill and that would happen overnight, right? All of us wish we have instant transformation in every area of life. We live in this culture of instant transformation, instant gratification. But the reality is, is transformation doesn't happen overnight. Transformation is never instant or overnight. But it happens this way, like it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We, talking about us, reflect the Lord's glory and are being, being, process, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which means we become more and more and more like God if we're on the right trajectory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That word transformed and the word it's transformed in this series, this, this whole series comes from, it comes from a Greek word. The, the New Testament was written in Greek, and in Greek the word there, transformed, is actually a word that you kind of get an idea where it comes from. It's called, the, the Greek word is, I can't pronounce it exactly right, but it's metamorpho. But guess where, what the word is? Metamorphos. You ever heard of that word used before in English? It basically is this process, when we think about that, it's, just, it's the process that's usually talked about from being a caterpillar to a butterfly, and it goes through these stages of getting there. And it's kind of, some of the stages are kind of ugly. The pupa stage and the chrysalis stage is kind of this little sack. You've seen those little sacks hanging on trees, you know, and you're like, ooh, that's ugly. And it started off with a caterpillar, and it got a sack, and it kind of hangs there, and all of a sudden a beautiful butterfly, you know, pops out or something. You're going like, how that work? Well, that's what God does. It's a process. That's what transformation is. So just like the prodigal son, you and I must volunteer, must get to a point, not only that we get fed up with our, uh, with, with our life, and then we own up to our life, but we've got to get to a place where we say, God, make me, make me. Now, Romans 12, 2 is our theme verse. But let me read you the verse that comes right before that, which would be Romans 12, 1. It says this, because God is merciful to you, do what? Offer yourselves. Offer up yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform to the pattern. This is the verse that's the, the, verse that's the theme verse. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's saying that we have to offer up ourselves before God begins the transformation process to, for us. We have to get to the point of saying, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. I offer up myself to you. That's part of the process. Now, when we do that, when we do that, how does God, where does, how does God meet us? How, does God, how do we get from there where we're far from God to close to God? It's not immediate, but it's something that happens. So often we think that when we say, God, I'm sorry, I did it, I own up to who I am, I offer myself up to God, it's still going to be like, well, let's just stand back a little bit, we'll see how it works. You know, that's kind of sometimes how we think that God works. Well, that's not how it is in Scripture at all. Because in Luke 15, verses 23, notice the Father's response, and in, in this parable the father is considered to be god luke 15 23 and 24 filled with love and compassion the father he ran out to his son he threw his arms around him and kissed him and then he talks about bring the best and then he starts going through this whole process of celebrating notice he doesn't wait for his son to get everything right what is the prompting for god to welcome him in to, to put his arms around him when he says, I'm fed up with where I am, I own up to my sin, I offer myself. It's not when he's got everything, his act together. See, the moment you just say, God, I'm tired of living the way I've been living, I'm tired, 
He will do more than halfway. He will run out to meet you. God is not waiting for you to come knocking at the door. He's waiting for this moment in your life when he, you say to him, God, I am ready, I am ready to offer myself to you, whatever that looks like. See, the reality in life is so often we think that God is this, we get this idea that God is this, this kind of like disgruntled father who doesn't really like us. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago when we talked this, and I shared this earlier, that God loves you just the way you are, but he, doesn't, but he wants to take you beyond where you are because he has something better for your life than anything you can imagine. It's kind of like this. When we're babies, I don't, none of us remember this, I know. I don't remember this. And if you remember when you're a baby, you are strange is all I can say. But babies, what do you feed babies once they get past the uh, you know, early stage in cans, little jars? Baby food. How many of you like, ba- no, don't raise your hand. Y'all think you're weird. I mean, none of you like baby food. Because, but when the babies are babies, they'll eat all this nasty stuff. Strained peas. You know, I mean, carrots that are like pureed. All this stuff. They eat it. They always, I mean, I remember my kids. They had it all over their face. You know, they play in it. They love it. They smack it. Had a big time. That's all they knew, though, Right? I do remember the time when I got a little bit older and I didn't have to eat baby food anymore. I don't remember that transition, but I do remember a little bit later, you know, I, I wasn't eating baby food anymore, but I was eating really yummy stuff like canned SpaghettiOs. Now, some of you might like canned SpaghettiOs, you know, whatever. But the reality is, some, you know, the deal is, is that when I was a young kid, I thought canned SpaghettiOs were like, great. That's the best stuff in the world. Mom, what can we have for lunch? Yeah, SpaghettiOs. Okay. You know, and we get all excited because I didn't know, I didn't want baby food anymore. I'd grown beyond the baby food stage, but I'd gotten to the canned SpaghettiO stage. And I thought that was really yummy food because I didn't know any different. You know, and I still didn't know, you know, I hadn't experienced a lot of things. And, you know, now that I'm mature and my taste has matured and, you know, a few weeks ago on August 15th, I had my birthday, uh, and my wife said, you know, honey, where do you want to go for your birthday deal? And because I'm mature, I didn't say canned SpaghettiOs. I said, honey, said, and you said, where do I want to go? She said, yeah, anywhere. I said, I want to go to Red Robin and get a hamburger and unlimited french fries. <laughs> because I'm going like, man, I haven't had a hamburger in a long time because I can't eat the bun. And they'll take it and put it in lettuce leaves and stuff like it's Oh, it's so good. They'll take any hamburger they have. I didn't know if you knew this or not. Any hamburger they have and put it into, you know, make it gluten-free. And the, and, the, and the French fries are gluten-free too. So you can just eat until you explode. And, you know, and the thing is, is it because, but I didn't ask for spaghettios. I didn't ask for baby food. Why? Because now I've experienced other things in life. And because of that, the reality is, is that, you know, there's more. And I didn't know there was more. And I know there's even more beyond that. That's usually not our primary place we go to celebrate. But anyway, you get the point. Sometimes in life, we, we simply think that's all there is. And, and see, God has a better life for you than you can imagine. If you knew there was a better way to live than there is right now, the way that you're living, wouldn't you want to know about it? I believe you would. That's what transformation is all about. Discovering what God has more for your life that you don't even know about. And some of you will say, well, yeah, I'm living a good life. You know, yeah, and probably you are according to the world standards. You live, you live in America. You live the good life. Uh, you're looking good. You're feeling good. You've got the goods. You know? 
There's only one problem with a good life. It isn't good enough. Because if it was good enough, you wouldn't be stressed, and you wouldn't be overworked, and you wouldn't, and life would be just like wonderful all the time, but it's not that way. So something, there's a problem with the good life. But God has a life for you that you cannot even imagine, any more than you can, a caterpillar can imagine what it's like to be a butterfly. You can't even imagine it's so much better. And there are people who live next door to you, and they've got the car, and they've got the cash, and they've got their clothes, and they're they're going here and there, and they're living it, and you might be one of those people, and and you think you're living the good life, and you're still going, there's got to be more. It's because we're missing the better life. So, if you want to be closer to God, if God wants to transform your spiritual life, if you want to live the way you need to, you got to get fed up with where you are. you got to own up to your sin. you got to offer up yourself. And finally, when we do this, the coolest part of the whole thing of transformation is, is part four. <laughs> because when things are going fine, I mean, this, this, this young man, I mean, he'd gone off the deep end. He'd squandered all of his living. He'd sinned about every way you could possibly sin. He got fed up with it. He owned up to the fact that he had this sin in his life. And then he offered himself back to his father and said, Father, I have sinned against you and against God. Make me. Then what did he do? He lifted up praise. He lifted up praise because he began to realize there was a better life and all he'd been missing is is giving himself to God. I, I don't know about you, but when God is working, when I'm close to God, it is so easy to praise God. It's so easy to thank God when I'm close to God. Luke 15, verses 23 and 24. The Father's response. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. He was lost, but now he's found, so the party began. Life, now, it has nothing to do with circumstances. It has nothing to do with how much you have or how much you don't have or whether you've got problems in life or anything else. This has to do with life lived in the Father. Life lived in the Father is a life of peace and joy. Not happiness. Peace and joy. There's a big difference. Uh, Psalm 68 kind of describes what happens in our lives when, when, uh, when uh, this happens. It says in Psalm 68, 4, Sing to the God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. I was watching you guys. I don't know if you knew this or not. I was standing over here when we were singing. I was singing, but I kind of looking over and kind of like, how is everybody in church singing this morning? I couldn't see all of you because some of you were in the dark. And I wasn't listening. I couldn't hear how you sounded, but I was really looking at more what you were doing. Because, you know, one of the things I found out to be true of people who love God and who are, are, are transformed, they sing. And, you know, and the Bible never says you have to sing well. It says, make a joyful noise. And if I stood next to some of you and you were singing, it, wasn't, it didn't matter how well you sing as long as you were making a joyful noise. Because God says that in your life, when, you do, when you're transformed and God, you get close to God, you just want to sing out. Freddie, I love the way you sing. Man. Freddie's over here into it. He's raising his hand. You don't have to raise your hand. If you don't like to raise your hands, that's all right, okay? I'm not real comfortable with that. I get about this high, you know? <laughs> but the deal is, he's singing. I can hear him. 
And other ones do the same deal. The thing is this, is that when you, when you get transformed, it changes who you are and you cannot help but thank God. And singing is one of the ways that you do that. <laughs> so you need to learn to sing. I'll never forget in Virginia, years ago, years ago when I grew up in a church I grew up in, Bethel Baptist Church. Cool church. And uh, it was so different than this church is ridiculous. But the thing is, is uh, I remember one guy in particular, and, and I loved him not because he could sing a lick, but because, man, he knew how to worship God. Harry Stockton. I shared this before a few years ago, but Harry Stockton, his wife was the, uh, this is a traditional church, his wife played the piano in the church. She was a tr- tremendous musician, really good musician, joyful, whatever. Harry was this cool guy. Harry was my seventh and eighth grade Sunday school teacher. And, and the thing about Harry was this, he was an ex-Marine, he'd, he'd been in two tours of Vietnam, leading of an A, I think it was called an A-team. He was an Marine, ex-Marine, and I forgot what his rank was, he was pretty high up, or major, something like that. And uh, he came back, and you know, he could have been jaded and whatever, but let me tell you something about Harry. Harry came back from Vietnam. Uh, he was an architect, he, uh, uh, he, he, but man, he loved God. And when, you would, when we get in church and we're singing those hymns, that's what we sung then with the book, you know, he would sing, and he would sing so loud that everybody in the church could hear it. The bad thing was Harry sang so bad that you never wanted to sit next to Harry. So Harry had like a, a bubble around him. And nobody would sit next to him because I couldn't stand next to, sit, sit next to him and sing because he got me off key. He was so bad. But let me tell you, he loved God. And he praised God through those, through those hymns and through the, through the singing. Because he didn't care. Folks, too many of you on Sunday mornings, I just want to say this, sometimes you're worried about what the person next to you is thinking about your singing. Ignore them. It's about your, your audience is God, and when you're transformed and God gets you to the place where you said, I'm fed up with my life, I, you know, I'm, I own up to my sin, I offer myself, then you want to praise him. I don't know if you knew this or not, and I thought I'd close with this, but um, there was a scientific study by Swedish researchers that concluded this. This was one of, wasn't a church thing. It said the habit of group singing is good for your health. Did you know that? If you want to be more healthy... You get in group, not just individual singing, but group singing. You know, you can sing in your car. I do. I just blast it out, you know, blast my music and sing as loud as go down the road, you know. But there's, there's, it's great therapy. It's great therapy for mental health, for emotional health, for social health, for physical health. You know that singing, group singing, has been proven to lower your blood pressure, to release endorphins, to improve your mood, to build confidence, to relieve loneliness, to release negative emotions and stress, and creates positive emotions. You know, another study showed that people who sing and worship every week live longer. Now, I don't know if the correlation is between that and singing, but I think it's because the people who are doing that have been transformed. And so they don't, they don't live necessarily stress-free lives, but their stress level is totally different. And that's why I believe in Psalm 13, 6, it says this, it says, I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. That is, the, that is the thing that people who have been transformed can say. They lift up their praise. Whatever way that done. Sometimes you do it quietly, sometimes you do it like Freddie. <laughs> I can give Freddie a hard time because it gives me such a hard time too. Move away from you, okay, Freddie. <laughs> 
No, I'm going to stand next to you every time because you encourage me with, with your worship. Thank you. So the question is, has God been good to you? Do you want to be transformed? You need to get serious about going through the steps of transformation. And one of the things you can do as you come to the place, let me tell you, I'd like for all of you to be healthier this morning. So we're going to end the service today by doing what? Singing. We're doing music therapy this morning to conclude our service. I don't want to see any of you not singing. I'm going to come up with a ruler like my second grade teacher and then beat you on the head, you know? No, I won't do that. But I'd love for you to be healthy. Let me tell you, folks, hey, it's not about how well you sing. It's about just singing. The, song we sing, the songs we sing on Sunday morning are lifted toward God. He's our audience. So sing unto the Lord because he is good. So let's just start improving our health right now. Let's stand up and sing. Okay?